Thank you so much, Thomas and Jenny. And again, thank you out there, everyone, for your patience um, in allowing us to work through some of the issues uh, that we had today. Big shout out to our entire production team, the handful of people who are here and everyone who is at home uh, working and doing their thing. Um, I wanted to ask how you were doing this morning. Um, How are you really doing with everything Um, I like to think that I'm doing all right, um, but I think it's moments like these that make me realize that I wish things were back to normal. I miss being here with you. I miss seeing you. Um, I miss talking to you. And I don't love all of the issues with technology that we can run into when we're trying to worship together. Um, Things are different right now, very different. And I think many of us in one way or another, are experiencing things that are different. We've lost something. We miss something. We've had to adjust our lives in some way or another. Just this past week, our oldest uh, celebrated his 20th birthday, and uh, we had some plans for him. We were going to have a little party there at the house with some family and friends, and Uh, But that wasn't to be. Instead, we had an intimate little celebration there around the dining room table, and it was great, but we certainly missed something along the way. He understood, of course, being an adult. Um, But in just a couple weeks, our youngest, who will turn seven, um, she's going to have a birthday. And um, it's not going to look the same as maybe she would have anticipated. And um, so all of us in some way feel the weight of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, For some of us, uh, our trips or vacations have been uh, canceled. Uh, For others of us um, who are seniors in high school or college, uh, it's very likely you're missing out on some key things in your life, some key milestones, one of those being your graduation ceremony. For others, Your wedding plans are being upended. Uh, Your baby showers are not going to go as planned. And your birth plans are not going to be realized in the way that you anticipated. For some of you, a stable paycheck is no longer a guarantee. Maybe your health is at risk. For some of you, you cannot see your loved ones right now, even the ones who are sick and not doing well, and so COVID-19 has brought not just isolation, but separation. Much of our freedom has been infringed upon because of this global pandemic. Life has been turned upside down in a myriad of ways, and what's tough, I think, for many of us is that we don't really know how to exist in a moment like this, when life has been upended and things are turned upside down. It's a place for some of us of disappointment, of discouragement, of even despair. And now it's become a regular part of our lives. And one of the things I wanted to say to you this morning is that if this is a part of your life right now, and even if it's a brand new part of your life, it's okay to grieve the loss of these things. It's okay to grieve here in this moment of disappointment. Whatever that disappointment might be, give yourself the freedom to grieve. But in the grieving, don't lose sight that we are also a people of hope. I keep going back to this because it's such 
a wonderful truth for us right now. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I hope as many times as I've read this to you over the last three weeks, you're, you're now beginning to memorize it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this, Peter says, you rejoice. Church family, we rejoice in hope of the resurrection. We rejoice in what Jesus has accomplished for us. It is in that we rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved or you are suffering by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, is though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope, church family, even in moments of discouragement, disappointment, and despair, our hope is in Christ and his resurrection from the dead. It is in his resurrection that we can be assured, as the Apostle Paul so eloquently says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, no matter what is happening around us externally or in us, no matter what things have been taken from us, no matter how much we have been isolated or separated, for the people of God, the resurrection, the resurrection speaks to us about our future, about a hope that can never ultimately be taken away from us. Loss, no matter what its form, is a painful experience. But we can never be lost from Christ, from our future in him. And church family, it is in this that we have hope. But what do we do in a moment like this? Where even though we know that we have hope, or at least we know we're supposed to have hope, the reality of our situation has caused a great deal of disappointment or discouragement or even despair. How can hope and despair coexist? Eugene Peterson puts it like this, hope is a projection of the imagination, so is despair. Despair all too readily embraces the ills it foresees. Hope is an energy that arouses the mind to explore every possibility. In response to hope, the imagination is aroused to picture every possible issue, to try every door, to fit together even the most diverse and unique pieces of the puzzle. It is interesting how that hope and despair can occupy the same compartments in our lives at the very same time. So take courage, church family, that even if disappointment, discouragement, and despair is descending upon you right now, 
Hope has not ultimately left the building. Psalm 130 is about this very thing, and that's where we're going to be today. It is about despair, and it is about hope. It's really difficult, uh, particularly when we are disappointed, discouraged, and in despair, to recognize that these two things can coexist, that they live together, but they do. Let's take a look at Psalm 130. We'll read it together. A song of ascents. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, O people of God, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Church family, let's offer up a prayer together. Father, thank you again for the gift of technology. That though gathering looks different right now in this season. We can gather together. God, I'm grateful for that. I long to be with my brothers and sisters, to hear their voices when they sing, to give them a hug, to see their children laughing and playing in the halls of the church here. But now isn't the season where that's a possibility. And so as best we can, Father, help us to gather and participate. And where there are massive gaps as it relates to our relational connection, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would fill those. And today, as we look at what it means to be in a place of despair, would you give us hope? Show us what to do. Show us how to live in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your worship guide open, or if you take a look at it later, there's an image on that worship guide. It's a painting. And the painting by itself is a picture of what it might look like in the depths. You have these colors that are drawn out from the bottom of the painting that looks like they're coming out of the depths. It's a really interesting and beautiful painting in that regard. But more than that, the artist who painted this this picture, he actually took a canvas that had been thrown out and discarded and literally pulled it out of the depths as he took it out of the trash and made this beautiful painting. Psalm 130 is about this very thing. It comes from a place from the depths, from a place of exile, a place of isolation and separation, a place of disappointment and discouragement and even despair. The words of Psalm 137 perfectly capture the same sentiments. I'll read a couple verses here. This song was written, we think, 
when the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon, or, or maybe even after they were released from captivity and they were remembering their exile, but they said, by the waters of Babylon, we sat down and we wept. When we remembered Zion, church family, they wept because they could not go to the holy city to worship together. On the willows there we hung up our leers. For there our captors required of us songs. And our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And they responded, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They were in despair, church family. And here is where we are in Psalm 130. It begins exactly in this way by naming a place, a situation of deep despair. I'm going to break the psalm down in a couple different sections. We'll begin with verses 1 and 2, learning to pray from the depths. The writer says here, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths I cry. I think it's a really beautiful thing that these pilgrims feel the freedom to name the depths. And what do I mean when I say these pilgrims? This is a song of ascents which means this was a song or prayer or poem that would have been sung, recited, or prayed by thousands upon thousands of Jewish pilgrims over the generations as they made their way to the holy city, up to the holy city for worship together. This would have been on their lips year after year as they made their way to the city for worship. And so as these pilgrims made their way, they, they feel it necessary on part of their journey to name the depths. There is no dignity in the depths. There is no pride in the depths. There is no sense of success or winning when you're in the depths. So many of the things that our culture and society tend to celebrate when things are operating normal, those things are absent in the depths. So many of the things that we are used to having, used to experiencing, used to doing, those things are absent in the depths. Yet here in Psalm 130, the writer names his situation, and it is one of being in the depths. There is no dignity in the depths, but somehow he gives dignity to the suffering that he is experiencing in this moment. The depths, as named here in Psalm 130, is kind of an ambiguous term, but it has and should carry a lot of nuanced meaning for us. For beginners, the depths in the set is the setting of this psalm. It is an unfiltered look into the lives of the Jewish pilgrim who wrote this song and of many Jewish pilgrims who would have sung this song on their way up to the city to worship. This is the experience of their lives. If you read through the Old Testament and track through the life of Israel, you will recognize that her story is one of great suffering. And so many Jewish pilgrims, as they sung this song, they knew what it was like to experience life in the depths. 
The depths comes from a Hebrew word that speaks to us about chaos, about chaotic forces that confront us in this life with destruction and devastation. This word is also used to describe in Psalm 92 God's knowledge, the depths of his thoughts. They describe something in its deepest or its highest or its furthest or its most expansive capacity. So not only is it talking about chaos and destruction and devastation, but it's talking about it in here in Psalm 130 in its in its most expansive sense. So when the writer says, I cry from the depths, O Lord, he is quite literally at the very bottom. There's nowhere lower he can actually go. This phrase is also often associated in Hebrew writings with deep waters. And so it carries with it the idea of drowning, It isn't that the psalm comes from a place of struggle, but a place where struggle is already winning. The drowning has already taken place. There's no more fighting. There's no more wrestling, no more struggle. The writer of this poem or this song or this prayer is ready to tap out. And he's saying, it's all over. I can't do anything, and so I cry from the depths, oh Lord. I remember being in a place just like this in 2018. For almost the entire year, I struggled physically in excruciating pain week after week, month after month, in and out of the doctor's office, being poked and prodded and tested for the better part of eight months. Again, in constant, excruciating pain with no answers as to why. And that wore on me mentally and emotionally. I muscled through it for a couple of months. And then I must say that despair got the best of me. And I was done. I was, I was drowning. And I, I had no answers. And I, I couldn't fix the situation. And all I could do was lean in on Psalm 130 and cry from the depths, O oh Lord. I cry to you. Some of us know this place well. We understand what it's like to be there. For others of us, the darkness is just beginning to descend upon us. We see the bottom. We can feel the deep cold waters. And there's not much help, and we're not sure what we can do. We are in the depths, or we feel we might be heading there. But here is where we must learn from these Jewish pilgrims. Remember, being in the depths does not separate us from hope. Despair and hope occupy the same compartments in our lives. The Jewish pilgrim doesn't just exist in the depths and name it. He prays from the depths. From deep in the depths, this Jewish pilgrim prays. He finds his voice in the depths. And this isn't some rant on social media. This isn't some passive-aggressive call for attention. This is a genuine cry, a genuine plea for help to the only one 
who matters in this moment. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So often when we are in the depths, we tend to complain, to want people to hear our complaining, to want people to give us attention when really the only audience that matters when we find ourselves at the bottom is the Lord God himself. And so here, the Jewish pilgrim says, I'm in the depths, and to you I cry, O Lord. And here is why naming things like this is so important for us. I'm in the depths, Lord, and I cry to you. It's because in the depths, God is there with us. The psalm does not exhort us to simply put up with the suffering that we are experiencing. It doesn't even explain the suffering. And at the same time, it doesn't explain the suffering away. Rather, the psalm is a powerful demonstration that our place in the depths is not out of bounds from God. We have not been removed from our maker when we are suffering. The psalmist prays because he believes God is there in the suffering. Not only does the writer believe that God is there in his suffering, but that he is willing to extend mercy in his time of need. But these aren't the only things that he comes to terms with, right? He comes to terms with his situation. He comes to terms with the reality that God is there. But he also comes to terms with something about himself. He has an introspective recognition of his true self. He says, if you, O Lord, and he seems to be making a shift here in his thought, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. It is here in the depths where everything is stripped away that we are brought face to face with the evil forces of this world. That this world is broken. That this world is chaotic. That things in this world are not quite right. And here in our nakedness, as it was with Adam and Eve in the garden, when all innocence is stripped away, we recognize in some way, shape, or form, even if it's not direct, the way we participate in the evil that exists in this world. We are brought face to face with our true selves. And if we're interpreting the situation accurately, what we see isn't probably likely what we expected. What we see is that we are terribly broken. And our only response to that brokenness is complete and total surrender. In verse 3, he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities... Who can stand? This is yet another place in Scripture where the pathology of our hearts is brought to the surface. That if God were to actually mark iniquities, that Hebrew word there means that if he were to make this his primary work of marking our iniquities, then the writer says, who could stand? He's crying for mercy. It's in the depths that we get a clear picture of our true selves, of our sin, right? There's no more turning a blind eye. There's no more 
walking through life, being our own boss. We submit to God in these moments and say, God, you have my undivided attention. But as the writer is in the depths, coming face to face with his true self, there is a glimmer of hope. But with you, O Lord, there is forgiveness. There is no sin too great that God's forgiveness will not cover. And this is a foundational statement of all Jewish pilgrims as they made their way to the holy city to worship. And this should be our anthem as well, church family. It is healthy and necessary to name the depths and to name our situation that exists and to name our true selves, who we really are in the depths. But it is not healthy to only name the depths or to only name who we see ourselves to be. We must learn in the depths where darkness and sin and evil seem to be overtaking us. We must learn to see God for who he really is, the one who will extend mercy to us. But church family, this isn't where the psalm ends. It does offer us a glimmer of hope here, but there's more as we learn to pray. Psalm 130. The writer calls us to participate in the depths. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. This is going to be difficult for us. We're learning from thousands upon thousands of these Jewish pilgrims who were making their way to worship together, who sang this song over and over, who prayed this prayer over and over, how to participate in the depths. This is a call for us, church family, to fully enter in. Not to ignore the situation that we're in. Not to try and explain it away. Not to try and cover it in all sorts of theological terms. But to fully enter in and participate. As I thought about this this week, I was reminded of maybe a year or so ago, our daughter got a, a splinter in her hand. And she was crying and she wanted me to take care of it. Well, she thought she wanted me to take care of it. She didn't fully know what that meant. And so I picked her up and I set her on the counter. And I got the sewing kit out. I got a match and some rubbing alcohol. And so she was, she was frantic. Daddy, what are you doing? Daddy, what are you doing? And I said, honey, I'm going to take care of your splinter. And she cried even more. I, lit that match, and I guess she thought I was going to burn her. I'm not sure. I seared that, that needle. I poured some rugby alcohol on it to try and sterilize it, and I took her hand. And As I got close to her hand, she just started screaming. I said, baby, what's going on? She says, the needle hurts. Dad. I hadn't even touched her yet, but it hurt in her mind. You see, she knew she was in the depths, but she didn't know how to participate in the depths. I was trying to meet her there and fix things and take care of her. 
but she couldn't see that. Church family, when we are suffering, when we're in despair, when we're disappointed and discouraged, it does us no good to try and run from it, ignore it, explain it away, to be stoic in it. We must enter in. I think the psalm teaches us that not only naming situations like this is helpful, but that fully entering in and practicing, participating in the depths is necessary. This, church family, is our pathway to finding hope. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but the author is on to something here. That often the obstacle is the way. Often the suffering, the disappointment, the discouragement is the way. Israel teaches us to respond to suffering as reality. Not deny it as illusion and leads us to face it with faith and not avoid it out of terror. Again, I'm reminded vividly of 2018 when my life was at least for a season, turned upside down. It was a year, as I've already mentioned, of pain, but it was also a year of confusion and anger and discouragement and disappointment. Week after week, month after month, nothing but more pain and more confusion. And the further we went into this thing, the, more, the less answers we seemed to have. It was hard, but I remember in the summer... Just like it was yesterday, God calling me to fully enter in and participate. And it was only when I did that that I actually found some hope along the way. It was in participating where I met my Savior. You see, the gospel, as Eugene Peterson so eloquently says, offers a different view of suffering. In suffering, we enter the depths. We are at the heart of things. We are near to where Christ was on the cross. There is no place closer to the cross than when we are suffering, when we are in despair, when we are in the depths. So how do we participate? How do we fully enter in? Two great, the two great realities of Psalm 30 are suffering is real and God is real. These are the two great realities that we must hold on to as we think about how to pray out of the depths. Suffering is real. God is real. But there's much more than a mere description of reality here in the psalm. There's something for us to do. There's a procedure for actually participating in the suffering. We just read verses 5 and 6 about waiting. The way we participate is that we wait and we watch. These might be two of the most difficult things for us to do, to wait and to watch. We want to do something. We want to know answers. We want to have answers. We want to know what to do. We want to know a path forward. 
We want to know how to fix this thing. But here in Psalm 130, the Jewish pilgrim wants us to occupy the vocation of a watchman. In our suffering, in our despair, in our season of darkness, we're supposed to be like the watchman who simply waits and watches. There's not much for him to do. He simply waits waits for the sun to come up, and church family, it does come up, and to simply watch. This is our vocation in the suffering. We must wait. We must watch. And by the way, this is our vocation right now, isn't it, church family? We want to do something so badly. We wish this disease would go away, that we could get back to normal, that our economy wouldn't take such a massive hit. But our vocation right now is to wait and watch. Can I say that beyond that, as the writer says in his word, I hope that it must be in God's word and in prayer that we wait and watch. But as we wait, as we watch, let us not miss this remarkable little truth hidden in a single word that is mentioned in verse 4 and in verse 7. But with you, if you mark your Bible, circle that little word with, with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Verse 7, Israel, people of God, hope in the Lord for with, there it is again. The Lord, there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel. The remarkably striking thing about Psalm 130 is that the psalmist has a conviction that God is somehow present in the depths, or at the very least, he's within earshot. He hears us. It is with us in the depths that God offers forgiveness. It is with us that there is hope, there is steadfast love, there is redemption. When we are in the depths, we are not removed from our Heavenly Father. He is there. The focus here is on God's character. Israel's future does not then depend on its own worthiness or ability to pick herself up by her bootstraps and get out of the pit of despair, but rather on God's love and faithfulness and ability to redeem. Church family, as we find ourselves disappointed, discouraged in the depths, in suffering, if we rely on ourselves to climb out of the pit, to keep from drowning in the deep cold waters, we might very well drown. But if we can learn as the psalmist has written here, to cry from the depths. It is then that we recognize that it is our heavenly Father, our maker and our redeemer, who is in the depths with us, who stands ready to save. Throughout the entire Bible, we see a God who is fully and absolutely immersed in the sins, the tragedies, the disappointments, the despair, the suffering, the injustices of his people. It is in this place where we encounter God for who he really is, church family. Just two months ago, all of us were running around, 
filling our schedules up with work and play and travel ball and doing all of the things that we're accustomed to doing, spending our money, consuming, and now all of a sudden as things come to a grinding halt, we are isolated, separated, things being torn apart from us. We're beginning to be disappointed, discouraged, and in despair. It is here where we encounter God for who he really is, church family. And the reason is because it is at the cross that we see God for who he really is. Lastly, these last couple verses show us that we have a testimony of hope, of redemption, of restoration in the presence of God. O Israel, hope in the Lord For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Church family, we have a testimony, and it is the testimony of redemption. As we consider what it means to be in the depths, what it means to cry from the depths, what it means to hope in the depths, let us not forget That Jesus was thrown into the depths for you and me as he made his final fateful journey to the holy city to be tried and to be hung on a cross. It is interesting that when we learn how to pray Psalm 130, that we are praying the very prayers Jesus Learn to pray as a little Jewish boy, making his pilgrimage to the holy city to worship with his mom and dad. They taught him how to pray these songs of ascent. And so it is likely that as Jesus made his final fateful trip to the holy city for worship, these words were on his lips. Let us enter in with our Savior and say, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Let us pray, church family.